Welcome to the Stock Car Classics Podcast. My name is Tom Baker, and we are actually standing in the fan zone at Road Atlanta, where the MIDI's going on right now. Of course, Stock Car Classics are part of that. And this is one of the coolest interviews I think I've ever done. Bill Lester is a gentleman that I've watched throughout my uh Ascension as a NASCAR fan, starting in about 99, uh, and actually you started in 1999 in the car that we're standing next to here. It's the number eight car that uh, club founder Doc Whiteside owns. So talk a little bit, first of all, Bill, I'm curious, how does a young black boy from California get interested in motorsports. Well, it became as a result of the fact that my parents told me that when I was young, I didn't go anywhere without a matchbox or a Hot Wheels in my hand. There and you so go. they knew I had a love affair with cars. And then when I saw racing on TV, they saw how impassioned I was about that. So my father said, hmm, maybe I should take him to a race and see what his thoughts are about it. So just shy of eight years old, he took me to a Can-Am race at Laguna Seca in Monterey because I was growing up in Northern California. And uh, that set the hook. You know, from a very young age, I wanted to be a race car driver, but wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. And my parents didn't know really anything about how to get me started in racing. But they told me, you know what, if you want to be a race car driver, you better wind up finding a career or avocation that gets you behind the wheel. And my story is one of taking a long time to finally live my dream. Well, you didn't take too awful long. You were, what, 22 when you started? That's not super old. Some of these guys here in Stock Car Classics are in their 40s and 50s and... Uh, well, we'll we'll stop there. We'll just say they're all in their forties and fifties. So young men. Yeah. How how did how did it come about? I mean, I was going to ask you where your first actual racetrack experience was because TV never does the sport justice. Really, it's an experiential sport, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was like I said, just shy of eight, and I was there at that track, pressing my face up into the fence, you know, and watching these cars blow by me at 160, 170 miles an hour with the the sound of them and the speed. It was just electric, and so it set the hook. It's something I knew I wanted to do from a very young age, but um, it took me a long time to get here, like you mentioned. Um, I didn't start doing my first racing until I got my engineering degree from Cal Berkeley, an electrical engineering degree in computer science, and started working for Hewlett Packard Computer Company in the Silicon Valley, and with my first paycheck, effectively, I started road racing in SCCA, Sports Car Club of America, and so kept climbing the ladder. You know, my first year, I was Rookie of the Year from Northern California. The next year, I was Northern California champion for my class, and thought I would immediately turn professional and nothing like that ever occurred. I kept on being successful by everybody else's definition but my own in my professional technical career but not making any headway, you know, in racing. I thought that, you know, it'd be easy to become a professional and you know, if you don't have huge financial wherewithal, then, you, you know, you better be out there, you know, pressing flesh, kissing babies, doing whatever you can to get a company interested in backing you. And so I spent all my time, you know, when I was in my high-tech career writing sponsorship proposals and trying to meet people that would give me an opportunity. And, you know, lo and behold, my first pro race was a IMSA GT race at Sears Point where I scrapped and scraped enough personal money and friends and family to get my first uh, pro race. And, I mean, I found out that not only was I in love with it, I was pretty good at it because I was the highest finishing, like, independent out there against the factory teams. Thanks. You know, I mean, out there with me was, you know, the factory teams from Audi with... Hans Duck and Hurley Haywood and the uh, factory no Cougars of Roush with uh, Wally Dollenbeck and um, Pete Halsmer and the factory Nissan 300s with, uh, who is that, Jeremy Dale and Steve Millen behind the wheel. So, I mean, there was some style competition, but I held my own, and this is coming from a 
250 horsepower Mazda RX-3 to a 700 or so horsepower Chevy Camaro. So huge leap, but I loved it. And I kept on trying to climb the ladder, but I just couldn't find that corporate sponsorship and just had a long career in high tech. Ultimately, where were you looking to go? Where was your first sort of end goal that you wanted to hit? Was it sports cars? Yeah, I absolutely thought that my career was going to be an open wheel IndyCar ser oh, series okay. or sports car racing. I never thought in a million years I would make a name for myself in NASCAR. I mean, my earliest you know, recollections of NASCAR was ABC's Wide World of Sports with the Southern 500 <laughs> or the know? Daytona 500. And, you know, it was just something that was so German, you know, just I had no appreciation for because I'm growing up, like I said, in Northern California, you call it wine and cheese versus beer and pretzels. Yeah. And, you know, I saw all these Confederate flags waving, you know, proudly in the breeze as well. And that was kind of a turnoff for me, needless sure. to say. So I just didn't understand as well why anybody would run around in a circle, you know, trying to stay off a concrete wall and just driving in fourth gear. I mean, my thoughts about racing were you go up through the gearbox, you go down through the gearbox, you, you know, you, you accelerate, you brake, you turn right and you turn left. You don't just drop it in fourth and turn left, right? So, you know, I just had no ambition to race in NASCAR. So the fact that I really made my name for myself in NASCAR, I just would have never envisioned that way back when. So you're racing in sports cars. You're trying to kind of get up that ladder. What sort of turned you to the right and sent you over to Charlotte, North Carolina and into <laughs> the oval tracks that you couldn't understand why anybody would want to race. Exactly. You know, the fact is that... <laughs> it's I funny how life works. You, you just never know, right? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because I remember in the mid-90s seeing John Andretti leave his IndyCar program with Jim Hall and the, uh, you know, the um, Pennzoil IndyCar wow. to come to NASCAR. And we all thought, you know, in Indy cars and sports cars, why would you do that? But he basically led a procession of guys trying to come to NASCAR because what we found out very shortly thereafter is that while IndyCar and Open Wheel started to break apart because they were competing series that, you know, the sanctioning body started going at each other. Yeah. Um, IRL, you know, versus IndyCar versus whatever the sanctioning body was at the time. And sports cars, same thing. It, IMSA became, you know, USRC or, you know, whatever the... Uh, you know, sanctioned body of the day was, right? NASCAR kept on growing. And as a professional driver, you want to basically go to the biggest platform you can make an, a name and an impression on the sport in. That was NASCAR. So I got the good fortune of meeting a guy by the name of Ed Renzi, former president and CEO of McDonald's through a mutual friend. And when I, you know, um, met Ed, Ed said, you know, Bill, I understand that... Um, you race around in these little light, sexy cars. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, well, have you ever driven a heavy car? And I said, well, what's a heavy car? He said, a stock car. I said, no, i just driven sports cars and, you know, did a little open wheel stuff. He said, well, hmm, let me see what, you know, what might, this might lead to. And sure enough, Ed gave me a test at Anderson, Indiana in a ARCA race weekend, which I, it blew my mind because I thought it was going to be a situation where I'd have a private test, but it wound up being an ARCA full-on race weekend with Ken Schrader, who was the heavy hitter then, Frank Kimmel, another heavy hitter. They backed out their primary car for, you know, Ed's primary driver, and then they backed out a primer gray backup car. And Ed said, Bill, okay, show me what you got. And so, you know, lo and behold, I hopped behind the wheel of this thing and gave all the feedback that I did uh, to the crew chief. And had the time that I ran in practice been my qualifying time, I would have been top 10. So Ed 
could tell that I had some talent and he made it possible for me to get my first start in 1999 in the Bush Grand National Series race of Lysol 200 at Watkins Glen because he talked to Bobby Hillen who wasn't really particularly interested in doing road course racing himself and was also struggling a little bit with his sponsor at the time, Clean Shower. And Ed said, you know, Bobby, if you put this guy, Bill Lester, behind the wheel of your car, I'll help you for the next two or three races. And sure enough, that's what we did. So this car that we're standing near right now is the car that you drove in that race at Watkins Glen, which is really awesome. So what do you remember about that first race? And was it anything like you thought it would be before you got started with it? You know, the biggest adjustment was really trying to get to know the Southern culture and my team, right? Here you got a guy who is kind of like white collar with an electrical engineering computer science degree from second highest rated engineering school in the country coming to the deep south and working with guys that, you know, just didn't know who I was. They had no background on me. You know, most of the guys that are in the North Carolina area know who each other are because they all grew up together. Sure. And it's kind of like that scenario or that scene out of Top Gun, out of uh, Days of Thunder, yeah. where Tom Cruise shows up at, you know, the Speedway on a motorcycle. Nobody knows who he is. And, you know, he's trying to convince folks to give him a shot, right? You know, and he goes, Harry, don't, I won't make a fool out of you. Just let me have a shot. And that's kind of what it was, you know, because these guys didn't know who I was. But um, they could tell that on a road course especially, I knew what I was doing. And I qualified well. I was running top 10 until the very end when a competitor of mine actually spun in the bus stop. And I had to take avoidant action or else I would have hit him. And so I uh, went off in the bus, bus stop and then lost my top 10, finished like 21st, 24th, or whatever the case is. But it told me that I could compete at this level. And once I got that taste of NASCAR, that's where I wanted to be. So talk about your NASCAR career a little bit. What are your what are your fondest memories and, and any stories that you have? We all love stories, <laughs> especially if they're about people. And we know NASCAR is a great part of the sport for that. Yeah. So, you know, again, like I was saying, the culture thing was so big because I just didn't know what it was like to be in the Deep South and to live down here. You know, when uh, I first took a look at the Deep South, and I'd say, you know, North Carolina in particular, you know, all these rolling, you know, fields and, and, and all this acreage. I mean, yeah. you know, I remember when I started a race with Bobby Hamilton in the Dodge program, you know, I was at lunch with my guys, and they had this conversation about um, problem one of them was having with his Cub Cadet. And I said... What's a Cub Cadet? <laughs> and you should have seen how everybody looked my direction as if I had two heads. You mean, what do you mean, what's a Cub Cadet? It's a riding mower. And I'm like, a riding mower? I didn't know what a riding mower it was because in Northern California, you got, you know, a lawn about the size of a postage stamp by comparison, right? I mean, if you got a push mower, that's all you need. If you have a gas mower, I mean, you're living high on the hog, right? But a riding mower? I mean, I didn't know what one was. So, I mean, they were like, what? Oh, yeah, it was crazy. So they're all, there were so many stories about, you know, them understanding me and my background, me understanding them and their background. When I told them I was from California, they thought everything was Baywatch. You know, they're like, so what's it like living on the beach? And I'm like, I don't live on the beach. You know, I live in a concrete canyon in the Silicon Valley, basically, you know, in the high tech sector. They couldn't get that through their head because at that point, you know, Baywatch was the big show. Sure. Right. So anyway, I mean, just all sorts of things about what the Southern culture was like. And, you know, I didn't heard of what a Cracker Barrel was that restaurant, you know, I mean, what's a Cracker Barrel, right? But Cracker Barrel was living high on the hog, good eating with the guys and stuff like that. And I mean, the stories are endless, but um, no, I mean, I would say that my crowning achievement in the sport was making it to the top level of the sport. You know, my making it to the Cup Series at 45 as a rookie, you know, really 
some people say not having any business being there, but proving that I did have business being there. I've had pole positions, I've led laps at Daytona, I've done all sorts of things to prove that I belong there. But getting to the cup level was really a crowning achievement, and it was so difficult because there were so many people that were making such a big deal out of the fact that it had been 20 years since an African-American driver had raced on Sunday. And so the big deal, of course, was qualifying for it because back then, you know, 50, 60 cars <clears throat> were showing up for 43 starting, you know, positions. So my first task was making it in on Friday night. And so it was huge. I mean, um, Bill Davis Racing, who I was running for, I'd run with them in the Toyota truck, and now I was going to race with them in uh, their cup car, which was not a Toyota or a quote-unquote Dodge at the time because Bill Davis lost his support factory support from Dodge because he started this truck program with Toyota so the, the car that I ran was never really a Dodge Charger but <laughs> anyway so we had what Bill Davis put out there as a great effort and I made it you know I, I qualified 19th out of like 52 53 cars my first time there at Atlanta Motor Speed one of the fastest tracks you can go to and um, you know going into turn one at 206 207 miles an hour and uh, it was just joyous because at that point I knew that um, all the hard work, all the sacrifice, all the effort, all the trials and tribulations, all the doubters and the naysayers, I proved them wrong. I proved that I could do it. And, um, you know, it was an elation, elating, it was elation for me. And, you know, even though I didn't get to race on Sunday because the race was rained out and we ran on Monday, so it wasn't 100,000 plus fans, it was more like maybe 40, 50, 60,000, I still got there. I still raced on Sunday with the best of the best at the time. You know, we're talking, you know, Tony Stewart and um, Jeff Gordon and, you know, Dale Jr. and Jimmy Johnson and Carl Edwards. I mean, you know, you're talking about the heyday then. I mean, so with me being there in the mix with those guys, it, it was wonderful. And one of the things that I'll always remember is that at the end of that race, um, I did not finish in the top three, but I remember Mark Martin did. Casey Kane, I think, won the race. And Mark Martin was there, um, was one of the top three, and they were in the media center. And um, they had asked me to come to the media center, and I couldn't understand why, because I didn't do anything that was worthy of note as far as I was concerned. I just sure. brought the car home, right? But, you know, they said, well, now we want to turn our attention to Bill Lester. And I was like going, why am I here, right? And then Mark Martin said, yeah, let's hear from Bill. And I was like, wow, you know, when you hear it from a legend like Mark Martin giving me accolades and that sort of thing and, you know, kind of embracing me as a racer like himself, that means a lot. So I'll always remember that. So what, at what point did your NASCAR career end? Talk about, was it just lack of sponsorship, <laughs> lack of opportunity, basically? I mean, you're, yeah. you're 62 and still look like you could, bait, you could jump in the car right now and go race. Yeah, I probably could. But, you know, it's what you said. Sponsorship is key. It's everything. It's having the financial wherewithal to be out there. You know, I always consider NASCAR, which is probably like most pro sports, is politics first, business second, and sport third. So what do I mean by that? The politics, if you're not born with a silver spoon in your mouth, is that you have to be in the room. you got to be in an environment where you can basically impress upon somebody who can make something happen for you that you are somebody of note, that they should pay attention to you. you know. And then once you're able to press the flesh and kiss the babies and do whatever it is so that you're in the room and you basically appeal to somebody, then you have to go through the business justification. you got to um, impress upon that company or that representative, that CMO, vice president of marketing, whatever, why are they going to spend this kind of money on you versus going pro beach volleyball or extreme skiing or whatever the case is, whatever sports thing, yeah. marketing avenue they can take? That's the business thing. That's the justification. That's the ROI. What's the re return on investment? That's the business. And then if you're fortunate enough to do that, 
comes the third part, the sport. You actually get to put a helmet on and do what it is what you wanted to do in the first place. I thought, starting out way back when, the hard part was the racing. The easy part is the racing. Getting behind the wheel is the hard part. But in answer to your question, yeah, I mean, the funds ran dry, and I was fortunate enough to go and fall back on my original love, which is road racing sports cars. So I ran in the Grand Am Series for a number of years, and then, you know, in 2012, my professional career came to an end, but before everything was said and done, Unlike most drivers that get to start out racing go-karts at a very young age, I didn't get to. But at 50 years of age, I was down living in Florida. I basically took the opportunity to rent a cart, a shifter cart, at a oh, track. Wow. And the owner of the track was impressed. He said, how much karting have you done? I said, I haven't done any karting. He goes, well, how interested would you be in, in kart racing? And I'm like, sure, you know, he's paying for it. Heck, heck absolutely. And so I wound up getting to the U.S. Nationals in karting wow. and having the opportunity to get what's called a um, ticket to represent the United States Team USA in international karting competition in the Masters class at the Rotax Grand Nationals in Portimao, Portugal. Racing Incredible! Against, racing against the best karters, senior karters in my class in the world. People from Italy, people from South America, people from all over would bring their national teams and I got to do that. That was my last competition. Now, that must have been crazy for you because basically you, in theory, people would look and say, well, he went all the way back to ground zero, which is because that's where you normally start as a card or a quarter midget or legends card, whatever. But I didn't have I that mean, opportunity. To, but you weren't doing this at somebody's backyard track you were doing this at a huge world event in portugal did, did you have a moment in there where you just kind of looked around and said wow how did i get here yeah it was truly surreal i mean one of the biggest impressions was when i got that ticket to represent team usa by winning the u.s nationals in uh, indiana and we're talking about carters that have been doing it since day one yeah. and their whole career is carting they not interested in even getting in behind the wheel of a car karting is everything for them it's a you know it's a world and environment unto itself and here again i'm showing up out of nowhere no karting experience and i punched my ticket to the chagrin of a whole lot of people but uh no i mean i've been very fortunate i've been blessed with natural ability i've never been formally trained as a race car driver i never went to bondurant or russell or any of the road you know racing schools um and i was just fortunate enough that you know i just was got given a gift and I just didn't take no for an answer and I kept taking advantage of opportunities and trying to make opportunities for myself and you know to be able to race carts at, at, at 50 you know internationally without any karting experience was was surreal I, I you know I outkicked my courage I can't yeah I can't <laughs> believe that anybody listening to this would have seen that coming unless they already knew your story um did you just run that one event or did you run more carts after that no that was it you that know, was it was that, that it for your it. career I, I, until I, the comeback a few years ago that's Correct. I was wow. pretty much one and done, you know, in the carts. And, you know, you asked me how it was like, seems like everything was backwards. And I said, yeah. And that's why, if you're not aware of it, I wrote a motivational memoir a couple of years ago called Winning in Reverse. And people always ask me, well, why did you name it Winning in Reverse? And I said, it's because I got there. I lived my dream, but I did it opposite of the way a typical race car driver gets to read that. Yeah, absolutely. Incredible. So, no, I appreciate it. So when I came back in 2021, it's because I was 60 years old. I hadn't been behind the wheel a stock car in about 15 years and I wanted to find out if I could still do it. One of the things I talk about, I talk about eight keys to my being able to live my dream and being a success by my definition of success, which is happiness. Not how much money you make, not how many people you project manage as an engineer or manager, but how much you're looking forward to every day. 
that for me is what defines success. And one of the, my keys is getting out of your comfort zone. And I said, how can I exhibit any better that philosophy, that key, that tool, by showing up out of nowhere, getting completely out of my comfort zone, and showing up without having done anything in NASCAR or behind the wheel of a stock car in like 15 years. So that's why I showed up at Atlanta Motor Speedway and ran that race. And you were driving for what, Joe, who, Joe Nemechek, I think, right? Or? No, no, it was David It was David Gillen racing. Oh, yeah, David yeah. Gillen, DGR. okay, yeah, DGR. Uh-huh. So talk about what that was like, because again, you're coming back at age 60, running against a bunch of 17 and 18-year-old <laughs> kids yeah. at Atlanta Motor Speedway after being out of racing in your last race was a kart race. I mean, a, a, th- this is not the typical story <laughs> that we're used to hearing, Bill. What yeah. was that like for you? You know, my wife always says, you always take the hard hardest road. And it's like, yeah, you know, I always put the bar pretty darn high, but it was crazy because, you know, here I call these kids, you know, uh, trust fund kids because, you know, all these kids come from money. It's unbelievable what the sport is like now. And, you know, they have no fear and they come from a generation of iRacing and computer simulation, right? When I was coming through it, it's like you learned through the school of hard knocks. You found out what your limit was because you crashed and you exceeded it and you're like, okay, I guess I can't go that hard. These kids now, they push the reset button, start over. They have the benefit of knowing all the tracks, the undulations in the tracks, where their marks are and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's unbelievable the way the technology of the sport has progressed and how it provides such opportunities for these young kids that are lightning fast reflexes and they don't need to have all that experience that the older traditional drivers like me had to have, right? But, you know, it was crazy to come back because when I last ran a truck, you know, in the Craftsman Truck Series, the factories were providing the engines, you know. I mean, Toyota was going hammer and tongs with Ford and with GM and Dodge and all that kind of stuff. And these motors are spinning 88, 8900 RPM. And, you know, there's throttle response. And now, you know, they're running crate motors that drone, you know, top out at 71, 7200 RPM. And if you don't keep them, you know, wound up, they don't go anywhere. I mean, if you have to get out of the gas, you're done, you know. And the other thing about them now is that it's all aero. Before, you know, they weren't aero, but now it's all aero platform. So you got to have a perfect setup on. It, you know, because you can't carry them anymore. I mean, the races are almost won and lost in the shop, you know, and the driver's just proven, you know, proof of concept. So it's, it's a whole different deal. And, um, you know, I'm just glad that it, NASCAR continues to do well. I'm glad that they're becoming more diverse. I'm glad to see, you know, more um, people of color as well as gender, you know, so I, 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 that's what they have to do to continue to grow the sport. But, you know, for me to, again, get off the couch and jump behind the wheel without, you know, any test days. This was COVID. Keep this in mind. There was no practice. There was no qualifying. They lined them up and raced. And that's what I wound up doing. That's awesome. <laughs> Did you have fun? I had a ball. You know, I was, the competitor of me hated it because I wasn't as competitive as I would have liked to have yeah. been. The, the truck they set up for me was far too loose. And I was, you know, swatting bees every time I went into the corner. And so it was frustrating from that standpoint. But you know, when, when I get out uh, and think about it, it's like, you know what? You didn't wreck this thing. You know, you didn't embarrass yourself. Um, you proved that you could do it. So it was a win. You are such a ball of energy for 62. <laughs> I, it's just so great to be around you. And, and now you came back today because we invited you so that you could get into Leicester over here, <laughs> which they're still working on the master cylinder to try to get you out there. But I yeah. think you're going to be, you were out in a, in a, in a truck this morning, former Tim Steele yep. Craftsman truck. First time, I believe, since the truck race that you ran, right? That's correct. So what was that like for you to kind of just go out and cruise around the pace car again, the competitor and you, this is not about winning. It's just having a good time. What was it like to get back behind the wheel again this morning? Well, it was so much fun. You know, I mean, the, the muscle memory that you have, the feeling that you get in your gut, you know, just all that stuff came rushing back. It felt so good. 
and I'm so glad that I was given the opportunity to, to, to run the truck since Lester was down. I'm hoping to get Lester squared away because that's really the primary reason I came here. It's going to be a 24-year you know reunion between the two of us, so I'll hate it if it doesn't work out. But um, just getting out there, and you know, I was right behind the pace car. They said, "Well, do you want to run kind of fast or slow?" I said, "I came in here to run." So I was right behind the pace car, just kind of pushing you know him around and having a ball, and you know, just the power underneath your right foot. And you know, I have been. Um, behind the wheel of a truck, like I said a couple years ago, but a truck on a road course. My last truck race on a road course was dang. I don't think I did any truck racing. I think my last truck racing road course might have been 2000 at uh, Portland. Okay. I don't remember running the road courses. I don't think they did too much back then. Between 2002 and 2007, I don't recall that being the case. So. You know, so to put a you know craftsman truck out here on the road course was a lot of fun. It was well, cool. It's nice of Scott Davis to let you Absolutely. jump in. And I understand that uh, the ride's yours for the late session if you can't get behind the wheel hey, of uh, Will Lester. Oh, here comes hey, Doc Whiteside, hey, who you, owns you Lester. Enjoy, did you enjoy driving Scott's truck? I absolutely enjoyed well, it. Are you kidding me? About that. Good, because you're going to get to drive it again because I can't fix your car. Oh, Lord. Oh. See? <laughs> Sorry. All right. As, hard well, as, I mean, as long as Scott's good with it. I mean, I'm not trying to steal his no, thunder. He's, he's good. As hard as crew chief Laura Davis tried to. Yeah. To, uh, fix the master yeah. cylinder. Uh, yeah, can't get her fixed. Himself. We, we got to pull the whole transmission out to fix it. It's, oh my goodness! It's, yeah, well, it's, it's leaking internally. No. Yeah, yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Sorry. Well, you know, you got some time in it yesterday, so that's I'm right. glad it got some time around this track. So oh, it, it wasn't a total loss. No. So. Lester's got a cold, so we all know that uh, Bill's going to be back behind the wheel of the, the Tim Steele truck again this afternoon, <laughs> which will be a lot of fun. Thank you for taking a few minutes to talk with us here on the Stock Car Classics podcast, and thank you for coming out and spending so much time with us here we've had a great time with you and you know great to see you looking so well and again still looking like you could strap back in the car and go back at them again hey, it's been my pleasure being here you know this is a great group here with you know stock car classics and i think they're really taking off i'm excited about the fact that i heard they're going to be able to be at the uh, throwback weekend in darlington as well as yes. as i understand the all-star weekend at north wilsboro so you know these guys are coming up it's a great group of guys here wonderful equipment and so i wish them nothing but the best well uh thanks again and and we hope you enjoy the rest of the midi here. What a great uh, throwback race in general this is to see all these old cars out here. No question. It's like, you know, I'm a kid in the candy store because, I mean, you know, Me this too. is what it is. When you hear those things rumbling and bumbling and going by you, that's what kind of captivated me when I was a young boy. Well, again, congratulations on all of your success that you've had in, in really, um, again, being part of opening the door for uh, others to follow you into NASCAR as well. And we've got some great young black drivers now in a couple of Mink Cup and then some uh, coming up through like Raja Carruth and LeVar Scott, some yep. really talented young racers. So, again, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank you. Do you love motorsports? Would you like exclusive access to the behind-the-wall world of racing? Then you need to join Steering Wheel Nation, the ultimate community for motorsports fans. For just $29.95 per year, you will get access to our exclusive growing community on the Connect platform, along with our quarterly print and digital magazine. We're bringing together the largest community of creators from the motorsports world to tell stories from the past and present about all levels of racing and those that make it so special. And we want you to be a part of it. With our Connect app, you'll get content delivered straight to your mobile device, including VIP opportunities, chances to win cool prizes, and more. Plus, you'll be a part of a safe and private community that you won't find anywhere else on the web. 
Our green flag launch is coming up on May 22nd, and we want you to join us for the ride. Visit our website at steeringwheelnation.com for all the details and subscribe today. Steering Wheel Nation is revolutionizing the way motorsports teams, tracks, series, and businesses at all levels are able to interact with their fans. Don't miss out. Subscribe today at steeringwheelnation.com. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the Stock Car Classics podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the interview with Bill Lester as much as we enjoyed presenting it to you. We want to thank Bill for taking the time to come out to Road Atlanta and spend the day with us at the MIDI and for uh, having so much fun and bringing so much fun to our experience. Uh, So on behalf of everyone with Stock Car Classics, I want to say thank you to Bill and tell all of you that if you want to know more about Bill Lester, there are two really easy ways to get that information. He has two different websites. The first one, BillLester.com, has details about his book, Winning in Reverse, and the public speaking that he does. There's all kinds of other interviews and articles about him on that site. And BillLesterRacing.com details his entire history uh, and just a lot to sort of sort through and be entertained by on both of those websites, BillLester.com and BillLesterRacing.com. And that will wrap it up for this edition of the Stock Car Classics podcast. Until next time, I'm Tom Baker. Stay with us on StockCarClassics.com because we're keeping history on track.